that the strong monsoon signal and cold weather warnings are both currently in force. The news from RTHK. and welcome to Back Chat. I'm Jenny Lamb and my co-presenter today is Mike Rouse. Good morning, Mike. Good morning, Jenny. And in today's programme, we're going to be talking about buffalo conservation on Lantau. This comes as two buffaloes were recently relocated from South Lantau to Maipo Marshes near Yunlong in a move aimed at controlling their growing population with plans to transfer another two. According to the AFCD's latest survey, Hong Kong's water buffalo population stands at 180, of which 120 are believed to be on Lantau. And while the bovines have been part and parcel of the island's ecosystem since the early 20th century, their presence has long been a source of contention among residents. So how do you feel about this? Are you in favour of spreading out the buffalo population or would you rather see them all on Lantau? And after 9.45 this morning, we get the latest on Hong Kong's blood supply problems, which has reached critically low levels. So let us know what you think. Of, of these new proposals. You can leave us a message here on our Facebook page, email us at backchat at rthk.hk or call us on 233-88266. And joining us here at Broadcasting House in Kowloon Tong is Louise Preston. and She's a chairperson of Living Islands Movement. Good morning. Good morning. And over in our Admiralty studio, oh, it's Holloy, and she's a chair of the Hong Kong Bovine Conservation Association. Good morning, Ms. Ho. Hi, morning, everybody. Um, so, Ms. Ho, I'm going to go to you first. I know that you spend a lot of time feeding and taking care of these uh, uh, water buffaloes in Lantau. Why do you do it? Um, uh, firstly, I... Can I correct the word feeding is not a correct word using for bovine conservation. Um, the conservation practice covering from research, the species research, uh, habitat management, and also the animal welfare content all together. So the feeding part is one very small part of the practice. Um, and it happened to me since 2004 when I witnessed uh, the AFCD management practice in the front line that it was the Lanta was going through a culling, culling practice at that time. That shocked me that um, how the government doing to the animal that that they deserve to be protected rather than to be killed. So that draw me into the Lantau Buffalo Association at that time. So uh, the, that association was first party to to proceed the first uh, PhD research on the buffalo uh, um, species on own. So that's how I started it. So All right. Okay. Okay. Now, uh, we did try to contact the AFCD. Uh, they gave us this response and they said, from time to time, the AFCD receives reports of cattle-related nuisance, which pose a safety threat to residents. The AFCD believes that there is a strong correlation between the population size of the stray cattle and the amount of nuisance it would cause to the public. Therefore, the population of stray cattle has to be controlled. The AFCD has received multiple complaints from Lantau residents stating that 
that stray water buffaloes frequently enter the village and wander on busy and narrow streets, causing damage and posing a safety threat to residents. With a view to reducing the nuisance caused by water buffaloes and their conflicts with residents on Lantau Island, the AFCD plans to relocate two more water buffaloes on Lantau to the Maipo Nature Reserve. The reserve, with grass and water sources, is suitable for water buffaloes to inhabit and forage, and since 2006, the AFCD has relocated a total of 13 water buffaloes to the Maipo Nature Reserve, with at least 10 of them relocated from Lantau Island. So that's the AFCD. Yeah, good morning, everybody. Um, water buffaloes. Uh, people eat meat. Why don't we eat them? Louise Preston? <laughs> Louise? Certainly in, in countries other than Hong Kong, I'm aware of people eating them. I visited Vietnam quite recently and, and water buffalo was off on the menu there. But do you think these buffaloes should remain? Uh, my speaking? Uh, yeah, have a go, Loy. Uh, sorry, because uh, I'm not sure who, who is asking the question. Um, okay, firstly, we... Uh, Allow me to respond for the statement of AFCD. This statement has been repeating since I involved in animal, uh, uh, animal policy in 2004, that they're using the same skills and the same kind of response all the time, that we have been proved that they were all lies, mostly lies, and also it's not uh, fulfilling for a conservation practice by the government itself. So which because part is a lie? Yeah, because the nuisance is like, like the cow doesn't complain or the safety threat complain that we already proved that. Like this time, the relocation uh, practice, that there's no evidence proving the buffalo is causing any public safety or or any other situation because the Mui War, we're talking about the, the, another two buffalo relocation is going to be from Mui War. So Mui War, um, <clears throat> Mui War residents are very well uh, collaborating with the buffalo and the buffalo also very well adopting how to live themselves within the population area itself. So it is a very interesting situation that Hong Kong should be revealing how the community live with a wild and large-scale mammals animal within this area instead of complain because as far as I know it's only a few numbers maybe up to three or four people constantly it's the same people complaining all this year not the much uh, majority but, of the public right. don't the large animals wander onto the road yeah, but the rule was made by the large, large animal at this start. So why we are not part uh, our responsibility to protect them? Because before a rule happened, it was the animal create the path between villages for humans to live. But now there are buses and cars and motorbikes. Uh, how, how do we separate them? We, we don't need to. Drivers just need to learn how to respect all life have the right to use public assets. And they need to do safety control. They, uh, they need to commit to their safety liability. Like on Lantau, uh, before 2013, the numbers of animals being killed on road was over 13, like large-scale animals being killed on the road, uh, 13. But after the Changsha Kao incident, that government is doing control 
the safety control on the road. And the next year, the animal being killed on the road down to one. So we are seeing the measure of public safety control is practical. Okay, Louise Preston, what is your response? Are some of the AFCD's claims valid? I think that it's very important to consider the removal of buffalo because they're causing a nuisance and they're a safety issue in tandem with the de-sexing program. And certainly Living Islands Movement supports both those programs to some extent. At the moment, we our own observation of the number of buffalo in two villages with which we are very familiar is different from the AFCD's observation. And of course, there are many valid reasons for that. We are there 24-7. AFCD just visit once a week or, or even once a day. So before any more removal programs or de-sexing programs, I would like to see a credible census of all the buffalo that currently exist on Lantau. Oh, but you guys live there. Why don't you just count them? It's quite a large job. In fact, Living Island did organise a census back in 2007 when there was a previous um, controversy about removal of the animal. But there are departments dedicated to this area. We're a voluntary organisation and it would give AFCD a wonderful opportunity to work with the other departments that are responsible for maintaining the conservation of South Lantau. Uh, now, there was interesting terminology used there just now by Laura. She talked about large animals because it's not just a buffalo thing, is it? There's also cows, which I believe are separate because some of the cows get moved to Saikung. Uh, that happened in 2013, that one half of our Chengsa herd was, I would use the word stolen, by oh. AFCD to relocate to Saikong because none of the, none of the uh, animal conservation party was informed with this large scale of practice of AFCD because um, to relocate a herd of animal is a big exercise. Right. But, so, uh, so how we, well, the figures we quoted earlier were for water buffalo, are there other statistics for cows? Uh, they're totally different, different living nature, different right. behaviour, different conservation value. And, and right, but have we got numbers for the cows? Yeah, when we, met, when yeah. we met with AFCD in mid-December, they reported to us that they estimate 120 buffalo and 120 brown cattle, which is what you and I call cows, on South Lantau. Right. So it's the same numbers of both. But So that's 240 altogether? Sounds right to me. Right, not overlapping. But uh, buffaloes then are either on Lantau or sometimes relocated to Yunlong, and the cows are on Lantau and sometimes relocated somewhere else? Uh, I, w I would totally disagree with the relocation practice. On Lantau, right. I don't think we have over 100 uh, water buffaloes because we only have like uh, 13 in Muiwo and then maybe 14 between Chimawans and Poyo and then another nine in Shreihau. So the number you can see that is not accurate. We got the number because we count them every week. So um, so on the, we were seeing the differences between the government policy and the frontline practice uh, conservation uh, organization like us that we, we don't have an actual communication channel between us like before 2013 the government invites us to discuss every year uh, on the animal welfare policy but this 
appropriate exercise was stopped I, for unknown reason. We are not invited. Um, for the relocation <coughs> in 2014, we have a, a official meeting with the uh, assistant director of ASCD, uh, Dr. Six, that he agreed that no more cross district relocation exercise from AFCD. So we, we see that uh, between the management of AFCD and the frontline practice AFCD, they are doing different kind of policies. So we, it just gives us a big question of what conservation are we practicing in Hong Kong? But, are we... Right, but the argument for the buffaloes and the cows continuing, in your view, is that this is conservation and the animals deserve space. Is yes, right? exactly. So in 2014, we were invited to LESCO. So we already submitted a policy suggestion, a policy address that conservation must start from planning, from, must start from planning. So what happened that we have been processing like 14 years to uh, press the government. Firstly, they can do is we need to provide law pra lawful practice in conservation area. We're not talking about animal habitat yet, but just the existing conservation song itself. The government need lawful practice on it. If anyone abusing the uh, environmental condition, it should be prosecuted. So this happened this year that finally, uh, actually in 2013, we're in 2024 now, uh, 2023 that the uh, the policy has been implied for all the coastal protection area that that law practice will be carried out but then um, for the conservation we're talking about what is the measure of conservation practice itself so in my understanding if we are serving the sustainability of Hong Kong biodiversity is one core core okay. value of conservation practice. So biodiversity is, we're talking about, are we doing professional practice on all kinds of species? Okay, let's talk about the biodiversity here. Uh, this is an introduced species. They, they are not naturally there. They were left there by the farmers in the 70s when, when farming stopped. This is not a natural species. On Lantau, so I was looking up information about biodiversity in Lantau. That we have, we have migratory birds, we have migratory insects, frogs, toads, some of them very unique. These are a water buffalo, anything between 300 and 500 kilos. Um, if if people are saying, well, you know, they're ruining the natural fauna and, and flora of Lantau, um, is, is that it, are they actually contributing to biodiversity or, or actually threatening it when there are more of them? Louise, my understanding is they make a massive contribution to the biodiversity of the unique wetlands on South Lantau. How so? Because of the other species that depend on them. So, for example, there are birds that eat um, insects that are on the buffalo, and then there's a whole ecological chain that follows that. Right, but this, but this is about balance, right? So, so now maybe there are 120. If they continue to breed, that's, that might that's not a, be the story anymore. That's a whole area of question. Are, are the buffalo breeding and are the cows breeding? Uh, there has been a very extensive desexing program in yeah. recent years conducted by AFCD and Living Islands Movement would very much like to know the precise numbers of animals that have been desexed. 
We know that there are plans to desex a further two female buffalo over the next year, uh, but without knowing how many intact female remain in each herd, the desexing program is rather meaningless. Yeholoi, your your view on desexing? Um, the actually the desex uh, practice, the, the surgery was implied by the association in 2006. So we imply the the surgery is because we need to shelve the culling policy at that time that uh, the government using culling as a uh, population control policy at that time. So we, the association has been introducing uh, this act program can do uh, the population control instead of culling. Right. So, so, so family planning is better than killing? Uh, of course, because we need to respect the animal existence on, in the environment. Also, we need to put a high uh, values on uh, high uh, respect on the conservation um, issue on it. So we try to, you know, allow the animal to provide the best welfare condition for them. So the DSEC program is one of the small uh, practice to uh, ensure that the environment condition can be suitable and workable with the animal existence at that time. So. Uh, the association agree on population control because, especially on the buffalo, because they only live in wetland. Hong right. Kong wetland is constantly being abused at that time. We, we, we do not know how far we can protect the wetland at that time. So the policy control is essential, but uh, instead of culling, desexting is one possible but way. There are but, two fundamental issues here. One is, raised by Jenny earlier, that this was an introduced species. They weren't naturally living on Lantau 50 years ago, uh, 60 years ago is maybe safer. Um, they were introduced for, by the farmers to help with the farming. So that's at one point. And the second point is, if we continue with desexing and birth control, eventually they will fade away anyway, naturally. Because there won't be any new calves. I'll, I'll allow me to answer this two question. First, um, we have a historical item on Earth displayed in the History Museum that to prove the bovine existing on Lantau over 5,000 years. So it's not, we, we do 5, not 5,000? Wow. Yeah, really? It's over, yeah, from, from uh, Man Gok Choi in Mui War. What kind of bovine are we talking about? Uh, the the item itself do not clearly to explain is that a buffalo or cow, but it's the object of it look like a demonstration to teach the people how to control the animal itself. So we got this history over five thousand years on land town that bovine animal already exists coexists with human living on the island themselves. So in between. 5,000 years ago until today, we don't know what happened and we don't have animal history record in the past in our Chinese culture. So we cannot say that the animal is not native on Lantau. This is the first is it, uh, is uh, question. Okay, is it possible that the cows were bred there for many years and the water buffaloes were relatively recent? Could there be uh, a difference between the breeds? We, 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 we also found a YouTube documentary that proving the cow animal exists over 100 years who, already. Who made the documentary? Uh, it's a British uh, historian that they are doing documentaries on Lantau. It's some right. short film. Okay, so we don't know whether that's a fact. It is. It's proved. It's, it's 
you can see the view, you can see the video itself. So uh, this is local animal. The animal doesn't exist for no, from nowhere because it's a large scale of animal. And at that, in the old day, the the sea trans, uh, the tree, the sea, the sea traffic is not as uh, convenient as as. Now we have today to relocate animal from different area, and the people was not that rich to relocate animal from elsewhere imported to Lantau. So you can see the poor farmer. Where can they get large scale animal from, to in order to help their farming? So this is a lot of history research we need to do to prove that. So from the evidence, we know that the animal exists on Lantau is more. The cows than didn't. I mean, the, you know, come on, the farming cows weren't there. They also the buffalo farming. We have pictures. We have pictures showing the uh, buffalo farming. We have also RGHK documentary uh, <laughs> program showing the last water buffalo farming was uh, recorded in uh, 1980. Well, so that's exactly the same year that I started as assistant district officer. Well, there you go. <laughs> so we have long and uh, enough documentary to prove that the animal exists on land that is not just recently right what about the second aspect then if we if we're successful the, with the birth control eventually they'll fade out okay so this is a big argument between the conservation practice and the afcd policy management uh, because on the conservation we we have advised the government that we we request uh, there should be a identification policy uh, a measure of which animal to be dissected when we start just the discussion in 2009. Um, so the association had proposed to the government that we do not dissect animal under age of four. And we also only dissect animal that have problem living within their habitat. So at that time, we, uh, the, the association managed to dissect eight uh, buffalo to start the program with. And then we have to monitoring the animal behavior and how they're living in the environment. So there is a lot of uh, a measure of using the DSEX program instead of like, any happen any time or any issue or any unknown reason that come across, are we gonna dissect this one or dissect that one or, or dissect how many? That must be a research at the background right. that to prove that isn't necessarily it to sounds, dissect It sounds that like animal. we're heading back towards Louise's point about having a proper uh, population survey and, and then uh, accounting, I guess, buffalo by buffalo. Um, should it should every female buffalo have an opportunity to breed or uh is that animal rights what what, what do, we, do we need detailed records cow by cow i think Louise? Uh, I, I think a, a more important issue is perhaps that the amount of wetland is diminishing with concretization and development so the number of buffalo that can be naturally supported is perhaps reducing because the wetland is being degraded. And those two issues need to be looked at together. So AFCD really does need to talk to other government departments about preserving the wetland for the, for the welfare of the buffalo. And now they have that Land Out Tomorrow program. Is that going to uh, further um, shrink back the amount of wetland? 
Lantau tomorrow. The Lantau islands. tomorrow is the artificial island. Yeah, offshore. That's. I don't think that. <laughs> I don't think they envisage any buffalo there. Uh, okay. Okay. Um, but <laughs> but, but okay. The amount of wetland. Uh, um, the, the mich- how, yeah, I th- but Jenny, I believe you're referring to sustainable Lantau offices, uh, development in the north. Right. conservation in the south and the water buffalo and cows are very much part of south lantau of sustainable lantau offices vision for uh, uh, conservation and recreation in the south okay uh we're nearly coming up to half past nine and we'll continue this discussion afterwards um Holoi is with us in our uh, Queensway office and here in Kaolatong we have Louise Preston from the Living Islands Movement. And now let's take a quick look at the weather. Uh, it's cloudy with one or two rain patches today, becoming colder later. Temperatures in the urban areas will fall appreciably from about 15 degrees at first to around 10 degrees tonight and a few degrees lower in the new territories. There'll be moderate to fresh northerly wind, strong offshore and on high ground. And the outlook is for very cold weather tomorrow. It'll be windy with a few rain patches. The minimum temperature will fall to around 7 degrees in the urban area and a couple of degrees lower in the new territories. It'll be remaining cold in the following couple of days and still rather cool in the morning in the latter part of the week. The current outside temperature is 16 degrees Celsius and the relative humidity is 73%. And here's Martin Holmes with the news. An environmentalist says he thinks the public are ready for the upcoming waste charging scheme. Yao Wing Kuang, the founder of the Environmental Association, was commenting after authorities announced last week they were postponing the pay-as-you-throw scheme by four months to August 1st. The postponement followed public concern about how the waste charging policy will work. Instead, only government departments will start using designated rubbish bags as planned from April the 1st as a trial run. The governor of Florida, Ron DeSantis, has dropped out of the Republican presidential race, saying he will now endorse the front-runner, the former US President Donald Trump. Mr DeSantis said he could not ask supporters to back him when he didn't have a clear path to victory. And people have turned out in high numbers across Germany on a further day of protests against increasing right-wing extremism. The organisers say more than a million people took part in demonstrations over the weekend. In Berlin, about 100,000 demonstrators converged outside Parliament for a rally when just 1,000 participants had been registered. I'll have more news at 10 o'clock. You dump rubbish and leave old motorcycles in the alley? I clean it all up. You dump boxes, cigarette butts, takeaway meal containers and drink cans at the street corner? I clean it up. People even dump construction debris and old furniture everywhere. She dumps rubbish. He dumps rubbish too. We keep cleaning it up. That's a never-ending cycle. It's time to change. Stop dumping rubbish. Keep the environment clean for a better Hong Kong. To prevent pneumonia and respiratory tract infection, avoid traveling to places with pneumonia outbreaks. If you must go to these places, don't touch animals or eat game meat. Avoid visiting wet markets, live poultry markets or farms. After returning to Hong Kong, if you have a fever or other symptoms, wear a surgical mask, consult a doctor promptly and reveal your recent travel history. Always maintain personal hygiene and keep both hands clean. For details, visit chp.gov.hk. 
welcome back to Back Chat. And we're talking about uh, conservation of water buffaloes and cattle in Lantau. And we have a listener, Brett, who wrote in, and he says, well, people are not native to this area either, and certainly not in current numbers. Having lived both in South Lantau and deepest and darkest cyclone country park, how feral cows or water buffalo or wild boar or any sort of animal is some sort of problem is ludicrous. So... Louise Preston, before the break, you were, we were talking about, you, you brought up the point that the amount of wetland um, in Lantau is decreasing and therefore, you know, it might pose a problem for the, for the cattle. Elaborate on that. A lot of the traditional wetland is being fenced at the moment and containers are arriving and, and the surface is being concreted over. And unfortunately, a lot of the wetland is in an area which is currently zoned as coastal protection area, but there is very, very little legislation to enforce the protection. Well, is, is, is there being, is, any enforcement at all? Occasionally. Very occasionally. There was uh, something that looked like uh, a, a, fight, a, a, a ring for fighting dogs and that got removed. But containers don't get removed and, and the um, fencing and concretization isn't removed. But there is currently a proposal to rezone that area as conservation area and it will be more protected under the new... Because who's doing the fencing? The owners of the plots of land. And as we know from a very old... Uh, historical legal ruling, I think it's called Merhard, Melhardo or something, uh, people can do pretty much anything on agricultural land. So they're not in breach of their uh, lease conditions. Um, but you want there to, to be coastal protection, more legislation, and then enforcement. Is that Would that be fair? The enforcement would be more fair um, as far as those, those areas of land are concerned. But the fencing is driving some of the cattle onto the road more because it's an area where they used to walk across. And if the cattle are on the road, as Loy mentioned, they can create more accidents. Right. So, wow, I can see the problem here. What about health issues? There's the waste from the animals. Uh, do they spread disease? There's all, no evidence proving any disease right. being spread by the bovine animals so far. So they're compatible with a certain amount of human existence. They can live side by side, would be Loy's main point. And here. they have done for many years on Lantern. Right, the, the point about fencing, OK, um, I understand from your point of view, you know, some coastal areas and people are fencing them in, but from the landowner's point of view, they say, it's my line, I have every right to do that, right? Well, this is the thing that we need to uh, discuss more on it. So we, we are seeing the land owner itself that we've been questioning the government do any land owner is um should be uh, accountable for public safety and conservation uh policy in hong kong are they committed to do they need to bear that liability like public safety or environmental safety are they liability to be hold accountable to so is that mean that if I got a piece of land, I can use my land to to make money with uh, rubbish dumping or putting poison stuff in it or allowing public asset into any dangerous situation in it? I think uh, the short answer is a, a landowner can do anything with his land that is lawful. So 
dumping poison, no. Dumping rubbish, no. Pretty much everything else, yes. But it's still happening in Lantau. On Lantau, there's a lot of uh, wetland. Like the buffalo uh, habitat, like 80% of sitting on land that have uh, owner name on it. That's the question. That's the big challenge on it. So are we, are we asking the government that if land ownership is sitting on the coastal protection area, are those landowners should be held accountable to the protection policy itself? That's a very good political question. I'm not sure we have the other. Is, is, would relocation of all of them be more humane? The relocation is, is not... Is it, is it practicable or practical? Uh, it's not practical, also unlawful either. If the government committed to the conservation, that the sustainability of the nature species is their priority, they should put that in the very high pri- uh, priority. In 2013, we already proved that relocation is caused through th- animal threat and animal depression after the relocation because the AFCD do not have a professional uh, animal conservation practice itself. They only have a vet. So why are we holding a vet to be bearing all the political pressure on see, see, and also the... The animals become miserable when they relocate? Uh, sorry? Uh, you, you said they were depressed? Oh, they okay. were, they were, because uh, we have been following the uh, the half of the Changsha herd after the relocation. So immediately the government uh, admitted that two animals died soon after the relocation. And then the rest of it, we've been, like, my personally monitoring the continuously two months, the, the animal we feel to move outside of their dumping site, which is unnormal to the animal as grazing animal. And also they are, they are lack of food. So the whole uh, relocation practice was not uh, professionally or correctly done so at that it time. it takes time for them to get used to the new location? No, you need requirement for a conservation team to assist the animal at least over one year. Like, the research should be done, a proper research to be done to identify relocation destination, that the government did not do that. And then uh, relocation practice itself, it uh, needs uh, a, a conservation team to assess on animal welfare condition, right. the health condition before the relocation. To minimise the trauma, I understand the point, um, not sure how high it's going to be on the government's priority list, but are there other areas of the whole of Hong Kong, not just Lantau and not just Saigon? Are there other areas where the animals could? Uh, I, I do not life? support that. I do not support that. But for conservation practice, our first priority is preserve the species on in their origin, where they are already. Yeah, they are already in the place that we, we, we should be preserving their safety, their habitation safety in their original habitat. Because the practice should be on the environmental control, the habitat management, instead of the animals. So the government do not have this practice itself. I'm just concerned that the lo- owners are going to fence off increasing amounts of land, their land, and gradually going to squeeze out the buffaloes. That... And if we just say, oh, what happens then? And then the owners have got the fence there and the animals, maybe the animals will destroy the fence. I was going to bring up this whole subject. The very first sentence of the AFCD statement talked about complaints. Yes. Who's making complaints about the buffalo? Louise, in your experience, who makes it? 
the complaints? There have always been very divided views, uh, both for and against the buffalo on South Lantau, and these are well documented. It's all coming back to me now from 40 years ago. Yes, keep going. What are the complaints? Who are complaining? Who's complaining? I think you'd have to ask AFCD that. Right. Well, I mean, you know, we recall that incidents about um, uh, two, two, two male buffaloes um, knocking over somebody at a bus stop a couple of years ago. Do you remember? Yeah, that, that was after part of the buffalo habitat had been destroyed to build the sewage pumping station in Ham Tin. And that's an example of how it would be very helpful if the government departments talk to each other. So DSD, Drainage and Sewage Department, who were building the pumping station didn't realise it was the time of year when the male buffalo can get a bit frisky and, and are liable to have fights. And it was just very, very unfortunate that these two um, male, male buffalo chased each other into a queue of school children in Poyo. Right. I, I'm curious to think, you know, Louise, you, you talked about the necessity to count the number of um, buffaloes in existence. Have you thought about what is the optimum number to make this population sustainable? According to AFCD, it's 120. Oh, is that in existence? In existence. That's but the, the amount of land mm. um, is going to decrease, as you pointed out, the amount of wetland, and, mm. and Mike pointed out, you know, more of it might be mm. fenced off. Have you thought about how much land to how many cattle is a sustainable situation? Well, I would rely on bovine experts such as AFCD for that information. I don't pretend to be an expert in how much land is needed, but that number of 120 does appear to be reducing because of the desexing program. Hmm. Hello, well, according, uh, according to our experience and knowledge, and also referring to uh, Philippines, they have a, they call it a Carabao Conservation Institute that uh, Viet uh, brought it over to Lantau uh, 14 years ago, that they have measured each uh, elder buffalo deserve to have at least one hectare to one and 1.5 hectare uh, for conservation space. Uh, right. itself. So this is because the Philippines has, uh, they call them caribou down there, don't they? Yeah, they, they have uh, one of the countries who have started the conservation practice uh, parallel to uh, Onlanta at that time. So we, we, we have referred to their research. And right. they also uh, conservation happened in Guangxi, that the government uh, in... Okay importing the the animal for conservation anyway so uh we are seeing that uh, for the existing when uh, wetland uh, area on lantau is more than capable to uh resist the current herd of of the animal okay the uh, we have we have a caller on the line emma it's on the line hi emma hi it's anna actually anna sorry um, anna i think we have to decide what we want here in a bigger picture view of all this do we want green tourism on Lantau? We constantly hear the government saying that we do and that Lantau is going to be the source of uh, ecotourism. Well, if you want ecotourism, surely you want the things and the animals that make up the ecosystem. Now, in the latest of my many letters to AFCD on the subject of the cattle and the buffaloes, they say that the latest purge, and let's call it that, because we're down to, I think, We've had one calf, one buffalo calf on Lantau in five years because they have sterilized all but two breeding age females. Now, Jean Leung, who is the local mother of the buffaloes, sorry, I have a bad throat, 
um, will tell you that there's 24 um, female buffaloes in the Poyo area, and there's now only one that uh, is not, or possibly two that are not sterilized. Now, AFCD have been trying to track down those females for the last few weeks, and this has been a bone of contention locally, prompting locals to write a letter to AFCD asking them to stop it, because their policy of eradicating introduced species is one thing for trees, but it's a bit different for buffaloes. Now, I have here a photograph of buffaloes and what's captioned as Indian cattle here in 1901. Now, I think that predates most of the people who live on land. Now, if we want green tourism, we've got to keep the buffaloes. Of course, if you don't allow them to breed, they will get wiped out. They, they just cease to exist. I don't think we've had a calf among the cattle in the last five or six years as well. They've all been sterilized. Now, let me tell you, when SCDs are sterilizing, it's not a pretty sight. They take the girls off to the farm they have at Shamsoy, and we don't know what the conditions are like there, but they'll be kept in pens. Now, this is very unnatural for feral animals. That aside, the male buffaloes, they do in the field, and then they leave them with the, with the wound. Just, they just leave them. There's no aftercare. So Jean Leung and her team have no choice but to chase around trying to put antiseptic and prevent um, fly strike on these poor beasts. And this is, this is not humane at all. But first of all, let's stand back and think, do we want green tourism on Lantau or not? Because the rate we're going, we have no breeding cattle and effectively no breeding buffaloes, which means they will all be gone fairly soon. Isn't that a fact, Louise? You know, there are only two of them, uh, only two breeding. Yeah, they will, they will naturally disappear anyway. This goes back to what I earlier said about the need for a definitive census about how many there are and how many of those are intact. Right. Okay. Because I don't think AFCD actually do know the numbers at the moment. AFCD are merely responding to complaints as their statement to you started. They're being reactive when they receive complaints rather than looking, as Anna just said on the telephone, at the bigger picture. Right. Hold on. Uh, Anna's saying there are only two left, uh, only two... Capable breeding. of breeding. Yeah. Yeah, there is very little amount of uh, breeding animal left on Lantau. We are seeing that if the government don't stop the abusive exercise on the animal, we're going to... This species, we're going to extinct uh, on Lantau within 15 years. So we are in a urgent situation here that we, we need to question the government that a conservation department, should they prioritize the, the, the practice on the conservation practice rather than serving the public complaint? Because oh, yeah. we, as far as we know, there is only a few numbers of people constantly complaining. I it's see. not massive uh, public complaint. Okay, well, thank you very much for joining us this morning. Ho Loi from the Hong Kong Bovine Conservation and Louise Preston from Living Islands Movement and Alcola Anna, also from Lantau. The RTHK English News Service brings you the latest news throughout the day right here on your radio, our homepage, Facebook and the RTHK News app. And now we're on Instagram. Up-to-date news, videos, feature stories and podcasts all at your fingertips. Search RTHK English News and follow us right now. Catching up with the very latest local and international news just got even easier. On your radio, our homepage, Facebook, the app and now Instagram. RTHK English News. You're listening to Backchat. Call us on 233 and have your say. 
We're coming up to nearly 10 minutes to 10. And we're going to be talking about Hong Kong's dwindling blood supply. And joining us on the line is Dr. C.K. Lee. He's the Chief Executive and Medical Director of the Hong Kong Red Cross Blood Transfusion Service. Good morning, Dr. Good Lee. morning. Good morning. Um, how, how dire are we? How low is the supply? Well, at the moment, our infantry is still quite low. Uh, we have uh, around three to four days of infantry to supply the hospital. As you know, last uh, week we appealed for the public for more donations. More people have come uh, to donate over the weekend, but we still need more because of the cold weather is just coming today. Dr. Lee, did you really ever recover from uh, uh, the COVID? Has that, did that affect donations at the time? Well, the COVID has, has been recovered for us, but mainly uh, we have been working quite good at the university, but the secondary school uh, was still um, uh, weak at the moment because of the small cars, and also now uh, coming in January, they are the, the, the more elder students are uh, going to leave the school for the DSD. So, uh, we are not expecting more to come from the secondary school, but overall, in the general public, on the donation has been gaining back uh, since the COVID. Right. Well, you said three or four days only. Um, what what choices do you have if you don't um, get enough supply after three or four days? Is oh no, we 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 expecting we're still collecting. We we won't stop. We are uh, uh, three sixty five day service for meeting the supply because blood has a shelf life. So. Uh, we are calling up more people to come. Uh, before that, we uh, have in, uh, informed our donor that are eligible to donate. But unfortunately, as I, I appealed earlier, that some of the donor they are suffering from the respiratory tract infection as we are in Hong Kong in the food season now. So uh, they are not able to come. Uh, so we need more people to have right. healthy and good enough to come for donate. What is the ideal stock level at any one time? Well, the ideal stock level is around 10 days, just 10 days, because oh, wow. although the shelf life of red cell can last for 42 days, but we always keep the, uh, our infantry fresh and growing. Uh, that, uh, I mean, uh, there, there are when the patient needs blood, they, they can uh, receive the, the, the fresh blood. Understood. So 10 days will be the ideal situation. Any particular uh, style of blood that's uh, in sh short supply? Well, in fact, most blood groups are in short supply, but more urgent will be group O and A as usual because group O people has been up around 42% of our population. Although A and B about the same in the distribution, but A usually come, came down quite a bit earlier. So A and O will be our need. What What are the services that are most impacted due to this shortage? Well, at the moment they are not impacted uh, because uh, we're still supplying for the patient. But we have been seeing uh, more demand in the hospital since 2024 because uh, as you remember that we have been uh, in the full season and there has been a lot of mission in the hospital. Overall, the first around now is three weeks from 2024 this year, uh, roughly 10% more than the last year. Right. 
Uh, so, so basically, anybody between the age of sixteen and sixty-five, and if you, you know, are healthy and you weigh, well, they are I, welcome. They are welcome to come forward. Even uh, they have received the full vaccine, they are health. They are remain good a day after vaccination. They are. They are. That should be able to right. come for the name. What is the general uh, view in the population as a whole of, of blood donation? Are we are we making inroads in persuading people? Well, we have been uh, for, for for the general uh, understanding and the importance of blood donation. I'm sure everyone aware of this, but sometimes they have a different party and different engagement, like well, and also uh, recently because of the flu upper respiratory tract infection, they got sick. So uh, once they recover, they, they, they have time, they should come for donation. Right, but uh, you're finding young people are relatively open to this idea? I'm, I'm trying to think Oh, well, there's uh, any they, change they, over the generations. They, yeah, why there's a change they, of attitude? They, they know about this, but uh, in terms of school, they have been uh, not uh, easier. So we, uh, as I say earlier, we have been moving a bit more in the university. We have been running well over the last two years of despite the pandemic. Uh, a program called University Marathon, Marathon uh, that uh, a lot of students uh, and also staff and came for donation, but you know that is ongoing work because we want to keep those never donated become our donors. They are those have been donated to some uh, regular donor. Once or twice a year will be good enough uh, for 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 the younger generation. As long as they become a donor, they are more easy to mobilize to come for donation. Right, we get them when they're students. Uh, they become used to this, it becomes part of their life, then what you were, important point for you is after they graduate, whether you can keep them in the program. Exactly, exactly. This is what we are cultivating the younger generation uh, for years. Uh, but just we have been, have been seeing an aging population, we have less birthday and uh, secondary school. Uh, they have been leaving school a bit earlier because of the six year education instead of seven years in the past. And then there's certain benefits really when, when you are a blood donor. So for example, you know, you go there and they give you a sort of mini health check, your, your own health status. Can you tell us a little bit more about that? Well, when you are a donor, you are definitely uh, much healthier. In a general observation, our donor has been healthier, healthier than other pop, uh, uh, part of the, in the society. The same observation has been seen in other countries. So definitely our donor will have been uh, in good health. I, I remember in the past years that whenever we have visiting uh, military forces, I'm thinking Navy, ships, uh, the crews are very good on, on coming ashore and donating blood while they're in town. Um, I think there are fewer ships visiting now, military ships anyway. Yeah, yeah, but we have been doing a, a, a lot of different ways. Like we have been work sending our team to the disciplinary force and like the police, firemen and the immigration officers. And also we have been sending teams to 
to different corporate and other uh, organizations. Uh, we uh, we are uh, opened up more donor center in the past year in a popular area so that they can come at their easier assisted location. So you find that approach uh, works where you're going maybe major company by major company and then well, encouraging. Well, we do have good supporter, but unfortunately for companies they are not easy because uh, you know Hong Kong is uh, the space is uh, against another difficulty for us to uh, have a good space for uh, a lot of staff to come over with a short time. But they are good supporter, uh, naming some of the like insurance company, uh, uh, good uh, uh, major corporation in Hong Kong. They are really you do the You do the donation on their premises? Yes, exactly. And at the same time, we uh, although we are not capturing most staff at one occasion, they help us to send us information to other staff. They can come at their own time for our donor center or even our mobile vehicle where we station in uh, 18 districts in the society. Right. Is this, is this blood shortage unique to Hong Kong? I believe it's not. And so what are some of these other places doing? Well, uh, you know, the weather this year uh, really horrific over in, around the world, uh, not only in China, Hong Kong, but in, also in North America, in the Europe. They are also appearing for donation, even in the South Hemisphere in Australia. They have been calling for more donors because they are in the vacation. And also early two weeks ago, they have a heavy raining and flooding around the, in, the, in Australia. So they are about the same. External factor really a matter and also like holiday. And another issue, uh, we are facing similar issue uh, problem. Did we lose some uh, regular donors to emigration? Well, uh, I, I, I think so, but, uh, but that may not be account for a lot because we're ongoing recruiting uh, new donors. But the problem is over the last few years pandemic, we have limitations and also our, our force are all has been coming down. Uh, our mobile activity has been coming down because of the limitation in our force of manpower. But anyway, we have been trying to do our best, not only cultivating the donor and also doing some promotion activity to attract them that they are aware of the need in the society, the need of the patient in hospital. Yeah, you mentioned your staffing levels. Uh, how, how is that going? been coming down a bit just like uh, in the hospital uh, has been now has been a bit stabilized we hope we can have gaining more but on the other hand uh, one of the key thing is you know when they're coming within a short time over a mobile trial we have a limitation so this is another way we have been working over the years is to uh, uh, enable uh, the donor to make booking so that they come at their designed at time so this is even much better uh, overall the waiting time for for this booking case will be much less uh, shorter there there so okay so, and so finally if any of our listeners want to donate what should they do now well they can just come for a donation to uh, make a donation if they need they go up to our website social media and check the uh, location and also can make the appointment 
within the, that right. uh, information. Right, for Hong Kong Red Cross blood transfusion service. Well, thank you very much, Dr. C.K. Lee, um, for joining us this morning. Uh, thank you very much, Mike. Look after um, those cows. <laughs> and, and the blood transfusion. And also our, our producer, uh, Raphael Blatt. Um, coming up to 10 o'clock and the news will be next.